and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Um, So our scripture today comes from Genesis chapter 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the, yes, to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down in the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over, down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites to not... Mm, so sorry. Do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. And now the land now occupied by the tribes, all of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Perfect. Hey, thank you, Aaron, for reading that crazy text. Um, well, good morning. My name is Chris. I'm the associate pastor here, at, or one of the associate pastors here at Springbrook Vineyard. Lindsay has ditched us. Uh, she's in Cookville today, uh, preaching at a vineyard church there. So, if you guys will keep her in your thoughts as she's in a new place. Um, before I get started, no one got to ask me what my favorite part of Camp Vineyard was because I was there with uh, the teens, and it was not the uh, sharing of the room with the guys after the wing competition uh, that night, as you can imagine. Um, Crazy time, a lot of fun, sign up for Camp Vineyard. Um, And thank you again, Aaron, uh, for reading that crazy scripture. If you are new here or just weren't around last Sunday, uh, we are two weeks into Lent, which also means that we're two weeks in on a new sermon series Um, that Lindsay kicked off last week on covenants, or more specifically, uh, the theme of covenants that we see throughout Scripture. So she started off the series with the first covenant we see in Scripture with Noah, 
and the general defining of the word. In the Bible, both the Hebrew and the Greek word we translate to covenants means entering a formal relational partnership to accomplish a goal. And that goal in Genesis is basically summed up in that God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. Uh, So because of that goal, and because we're humans who mess up (laughs) that goal, we see a lot of themes um, and wording that we saw in the Adam and Eve story repeated throughout Scripture as we repeatedly uh, mess up. You may even notice today, as Aaron read, um, that a lot of the words and themes in 15 echo a lot of the words and themes in Genesis 2 the creation story. So we'll get into that later. Uh, so that's a quick recap of the week. Today we're going to look, or of last week, today we're going to look at the next covenant we see in scripture uh, in the second half of Genesis with Abraham, uh, Father Abraham, who had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. Lyrical complexity right there. Um, yes, Josh made you guys sing a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to make you sing the whole song, but fair warning, this is going to be a pretty text and history heavy, uh, sermon today. The book of Genesis just draws on a lot of historical context and language that we really, uh, need to understand to, uh, do the story justice. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. Otherwise you'll sort of just be left wondering why there are a bunch of cut up animals on the ground. Um, in the vision. So I sat with my friend Joe Bruno, who, if you don't know Joe, he goes to Maryville Vineyard. He's sort of what I would describe as a part-time theologian over there. Um, He paid for theology courses and I did not. So I recommend finding someone who did and asking them questions so that you don't have to, Um, because that's what I did. And he, uh, he kind of blew my mind all over the place with just his knowledge of the context and the history of this scripture. So as we get into this today, I hope you don't hear me saying any of this uh, to flex my knowledge because I didn't have it a week ago. Um, I hope instead that like it did for me, um, it just opens up the scripture in a way that maybe it hasn't to you before. So that's the plan today. I'm gonna lay out a quick three minute timeline of where we are in scripture I'm going to do a text read through and talk about some of the context, and then we're going to get into some application. Uh, So I feel like I just gave you a lesson plan. I feel like I'm teaching again, Uh, but let's get into it. For our timeline, we start in the garden with Adam and Eve, who uh, choose to define good and evil on their own terms whenever they eat the fruit of the tree. Uh, And that is sort of the theme that starts this downward spiral that we're going to see throughout the book of Genesis. Then we have Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain kills his brother Abel. Things just keep getting worse and worse. And then from there, we have this dude named Lamech, who uh, all scripture really says about him is that uh, that he accumulates wives like property, And he sings songs about how he's more vengeful and violent than Cain. So not a great guy. Um, And then God, who is saddened by all of this destruction and perversion of his creation, 
uh, sends a flood to wipe out creation and kind of hit the reset button. That's what Lindsay talked about last week. So fortunately, after the flood, everything is great. Uh, Just kidding, not so much. Pretty much as soon as Noah gets off the boat, he plants a vineyard and makes a habit of getting drunk off the grapes that he grows there. And then humanity from his lineage starts to grow again and get bad again until it kind of comes to a head in chapter 11 um, at the Tower of Babel. Maybe you've heard that story where God sends everyone out because they're trying to build a tower to the heavens to quote uh, Genesis, 4, Genesis 11 verse 4. They're trying to make a name for themselves. So the whole first half of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is this story of God interacting with a world that keeps trying to do things their own way, uh, keeps trying to make a name for themselves. Does that sound familiar? Um, and then we get to the second half of Genesis. That's chapters 12 through 50. Um, Lindsay summarized 11 chapters and, and played a video also, and then she ditched me for the whole rest of the book to summarize today. Um, <laughs> But from that Tower of Babel, we trace a lineage of people that ends up at Abram, or as we know him today, Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Um, And with that, our timeline recap is over. And that brings us to the next covenant that we see in Scripture that God makes with Abraham. The covenant that God is going to give Abraham a lineage that is numerous as the stars in the night sky And that's where we are in chapter 15 of Genesis. So um, when we enter the story today, there's a little bit of tension at this point between Adam, or not Adam, Abraham and God. Because up to this point in the text, uh, God has kind of hinted at this covenant. So he's made some promises to Abraham. He's told him that he's going to have a son, but Abraham still doesn't have a son. So finally in verse 2, of this text, Abraham is having this vision where he's talking to God and he basically says, listen, uh, you've made a lot of promises and I still don't have a child. Is my heir going to be this guy named Eleazar? And uh, a little history there, the word Eleazar actually means El, uh, my God, Azer, my help. You maybe recognize that word from the garden when it says that God puts Adam in a deep sleep and will bring a helper, an azer fit for him. So Abraham's like, who is going to be my helper? Is it, this, is it my servant, Eleazar? And in this vision, God says, nope, uh-huh, your very own offspring is going to serve as your heir. And in this sort of famous moment, uh, he tells Abraham, he takes him outside and he says, look up at the stars and all of the stars that you can count. That's how numerous your offspring will be. So uh, we get down to verse eight and Abraham's like, yeah, you've said all of this before. You said it in chapter 12 uh, of Genesis. And this is where God is going to kind of roll up his sleeves and, and change promises to a covenant. Um, and he does this in what seems like a really weird way to us as we read the text. But again, the, the context here is really important. Um, so maybe you're asking, Chris, what's the difference between a promise and a covenant? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because that's what the sermon's about. Um, 
In the ancient Near East at this time, there was a type of covenant known as a suzerain vassal covenant. Thank you, Joey Bruno. Suzerain vassal covenant. That means suzerain, big king, vassal, little king, or uh, subordinate. I love how the Hebrew, they're like, we need a name for this covenant between a suzerain and a vassal. And they're like, just call it a suzerain vassal covenant. I don't know. That's, it's so simple. I love it. Um, and in this covenant, the suzerain would usually make a deal to receive wealth or livestock. And that's the big king. And in exchange, they would promise the vassal, the subordinate, protection from other nations and from themselves. Uh, the only way to cut or the only way out of a suzerain vassal covenant would have been for one of the parties to die. So unlike a promise, it was binding to death. Um, and the way they would ratify this covenant is that they would take an animal, cut it in half, and then they would lay it on either side to create sort of an aisle and walk down it together between these dead, uh, bloody animals. Really beautiful image, if you think about it. Um, They would do this to serve as a reminder, though, because if either of the parties were to break the covenant, that is the death, that was the death penalty for them. They would be cut in half. Suzerain vassal covenant. Pretty crazy stuff. And believe it or not, that's how we get a wedding ceremony today. Uh, The bride and groom walk down the aisle between two parties um, and they make promises like, till death do us part. So, um, Weird how we get some of our traditions from such morbid things. Um, We've done away with the animals. But that's what scripture's talking about here in this vision in verses nine and 10. He is cutting a covenant with God. Uh, That's actually where we get the term cut a deal with someone from this covenant. So as familiar with this whole process, um, Abraham would have been familiar with this whole process, but something happens in 17 and 18 that's pretty uncommon. It says that after the sun went down and darkness fell, the Lord, who's in this passage represented by a flaming torch and a smoking pot, um, he passed between the animals by himself as Abraham is watching. So again, in these covenants, it was common for the suzerain and the vassal to walk down the aisle together. But here we see just God walking down the aisle by himself as Abraham watches. Abraham is watching God ratify the covenant by himself. Um, And we're going to get into the implications of that. But first, I want you guys to think of maybe a time whenever you've just been dealt a hand that you did not deserve Um, in a good way. I remember whenever I was younger, I was probably five or six, and my family had just moved into a new home out off a six-mile road at the time. It was like very rural, parts of it still are, Um, and they built this home, and my bedroom had these floor-to-ceiling windows, which was really cool looking back, but not when you're five or six, because there were no curtains on these windows, and they just faced out into the woods, and it was like super creepy at night. My mom still apologizes to me to this day that she didn't buy me curtains for that bedroom. Um, so just weird. I uh, just scared beyond belief at that age. And with the imagination of a six-year-old, I decided I was going to sleep across the hall in uh, the room with my sister who had curtains and uh, on her windows, which was a, a fine arrangement 
as a six-year-old, but earlier that day, we got into this uh, fight, you could say, a skirmish. And um, so that night, I had been plotting all day what I was going to do to get back at her. So we go to bed. I extend my left arm. I still like remember this. I extend my left arm as straight as I can. I roll over to hit my sister. Paul's right here. You need to know. Um, I thought I was just going to hit her in the stomach. There's grace in the kingdom because that's not what happened. Okay. I hit my sister right in the face. Um, I'm six years old. I don't have the spatial awareness yet to know the difference. And I know immediately that I've hit her right in the face. Um, So she is screaming and crying. I jump up out of the bed immediately, flip the lights on. And when I flip the lights on to my horror, she is on the side of her bed cupping her face. Blood is just coming from somewhere. I don't even know because she's got her hands over her face. Um, So we run to my parents' room and I know that my dad is about to kill me. Um, and he looks at me and he says, did you do this on purpose? And before I could even say a word, my sister says, nope, he didn't do it on purpose. Uh, he, he was asleep and he just rolled over in his sleep and he hit, he hit my face. Um, and I just was smart enough at least to shake my head in that moment, (laughs) uh, shaking. And here's the thing. The reason why I love that story is because my sister knew that I was not asleep, um, it would have been a land speed record for me to have fallen asleep that fast. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I whacked her basically. Because um, I'd been plotting it all day. I was excited about it, you know, because I, I was terrible. Um, and she also knew that I would be in big, big trouble because you definitely did not hit girls and you did not hit your sister in the face and make her bleed. So... Um, I just remember walking back to bed that night just filled with gratitude for my sister and wondering why would she do that for me? Um, And if I'm honest, that's the exact question I have when I read this passage. When I see God ratifying this covenant without Abraham, I think that's the same question Abraham would have had. He was an old dude at this point. He was well-connected. He would have seen plenty of covenants in his day and probably would have even been a part of a few because they were so common. Um, So going into this, he knew a couple of things. He knew that the greater party uh, always set the term of the covenant, meaning that the covenant always benefited the greater party. But here, Abraham watches God commit to a covenant with no terms that benefit him. Uh, He's committing to give Abraham all that he's asked for with nothing in return. Uh, Abraham also would have known that these covenants had an end date. When you make a covenant with a person, you know that that, uh, when that person dies, the covenant ends. That's just uh, part of life. But here, again, Abraham is witnessing a covenant made by an immortal God. Uh, Finally, Abraham would have also have known that these covenants were kind of like a contract today. They're loaded with contingency clauses because... Once you make an unbreakable covenant, uh, it's unbreakable. So there's all these contingencies, you know, if your daughter gets married or if your land burns down or whatever. But here, Abraham's watching God cut a covenant with no contingencies. 
because God doesn't deal in contingencies or backup plans. And I think it's a really good thing that he doesn't. Um, Because like my sister when I was a kid, Abraham walks away from this moment filled with gratitude but not without sin. We've been talking an awful lot about the history of this uh, text today and you probably know the old quote from Winston Churchill, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Have you guys heard that? I'm sure some of you. Um, I think Winston probably pinned that quote after reading Genesis, the story of these people who constantly grow from God's promises and spiral and grow and spiral and try to do it all on their own and try to make a name for themselves. And if that sounds familiar, that's because it's our story too, right? Um, Every day we choose to say, God, I know you've got plans for me, but so do I. Um, I know that you know what's best for me, but I'm going to try this. I know that you've, you've set the terms, but I'd kind of like to explore my own. Uh, the Bible Project says it like this. All these stories in Genesis are underlining the same basic idea. When humans seize autonomy from God, when they define good and evil for themselves, it results in a world of tragedy and death. And don't we see that? Um, Haven't we seen that already this year? And it's only February. But uh, the good news here and the good news of the gospel is that when God makes a covenant, unlike humans, he always fulfills the covenant. Uh, Do you know how the story ends? God gives Abraham the son and more sons and none of them are perfect and the pattern of unraveling continues. In fact, his great, great grandsons sell their brother Joseph, the dude with the coat of many colors, into slavery in chapter 37 of this book. But God does not give up on Abraham's family. His covenant is to use his family to restore that a seed, an azer, would come from his lineage and be planted back in the places they have been carried out of. Um, All these weird names at the end of the chapter that that Aaron kind of skipped over, and I gave her permission to do that, don't worry, because uh, it was a lot to pronounce. Those are symbolic of Eden, um, where God is is trying to make all things new. Um, And the good thing is we are part of that family. We're part of the family of Abraham that it talks about in scripture. In Galatians 3, 28, 29, it says this. I've got the slide for this. It says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. His covenant to Abraham belongs to us. Uh, Lindsay asked a question that we're sort of wrestling with during this Lent season as she closed last week. The question was this, God could rule the world all by himself, but he desires to share his rule and partner with humanity. What does that tell us about his character? In other words, God did not need to bring Abraham into the vision of this covenant. He ratified it by himself. He didn't need Abraham, (laughs) but he let him in. 
he gave him a vision just for a moment and he got to look behind the veil. So what does that tell us about the character of God? Um, What does it say about a true king who makes a covenant uh, with a simple, plain old human that only benefits us? There's no contingencies. There's no backup plans. Unlike other covenants, it doesn't end with death, but is actually fulfilled with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, I think it tells us that God is not going anywhere. Uh, He's not questioning his decision to invite us in as he watches us spiral out of control at times. He's not looking for a way out of this covenant. He is for us no matter how much we mess up. In fact, I would say he embraces this spiral pattern. Or as Joseph tells us in Genesis 50 verse 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. While we were still sinners, Christ still loved us and worked for our good. So, um, we're going to take a few minutes in a moment to do something we do every week here called Selah. And in the scriptures, the word Selah just literally means a sacred pause where we pause and reflect on what we've read. So, we're going to take a moment to reflect on that love that I mentioned. Um, to kind of shift gears here, we're in, a, we're in a season of Lent that I mentioned. And historically, a way that we recognize the season of Lent is that for 40 days, you, you give up something in your life, whether a physical item or maybe a, a mindset or an, a physical item to remind you to remain in some sort of mindset. Um, it's known as a season of bright sadness. That's what a lot of people refer to Lent as because as we are recognizing our great need, um, this sort of sadness that falls over us because of our lack of, um, we also remember the brightness that is the truth of Christ, that when we ask for him to come and fill those places of emptiness, he always does. Um, When we try to make room for more of God, he always comes. So there'll be some verses on the screen during this time, but maybe uh, in this Lent mindset, we just can meditate on and think of what we're holding on to. Maybe, Maybe it's not something physical. Maybe it's just the belief that Uh, In your heart and in your mind, you think that God is looking for a way out of the covenant that he has made with you. And that's just not the truth. Um, So whatever that is, I'm gonna gonna pray for us and bless our time. Like I said, there'll be some verses on the screen. And then in a moment, we'll move into communion. God, thank you for uh, this room and this space and these people. Thank you that, um, that you know that we are just messed up and you love us anyways. You knew from the moment you created humanity that things were going to spiral out of control and you embrace that and you love us through it and the promises and covenants that you've made are still true. Um, you're not looking for 
an, an exit plan or a contingency. Your single and relentless stance is love for us. So I pray today that we could just remember that, that we could reflect on what that means, how that changes the way that we uh, go about our day, how that frees us from fear of judgment of others and ourselves. Um, yeah, would you just reveal those, those things in our heart as we take some time to reflect on you? It's in your name I pray, amen.